evening. It's good to see you again. Welcome back to Subi Church. Um, I hope you've had a great week. Uh, the start of the year is always, it always tends to be kind of slow, kind of lazy as we get back into routine, right? Um, even coming to church might be a routine. Uh, but I think it's a good routine uh, because we need to be with God's people. We need other believers uh, to sing praises to Him as He deserves, to sit under the preaching of God's Word, to be reminded of how much we need Jesus, who is our hope and in life and in death. So let's do that together. Please stand. I'd love to open us in prayer. Our Father, you are God, the creator of all things in heaven and on earth. You are the lover of our souls. We thank you for your presence here with us and pray that you would guide our hearts to worship you today. Please encourage us and nurture us through your word. Help us to delight in you. In Jesus' name, amen.
to a time of the Lord's Supper and it's an opportunity for you to reflect on what the Lord Jesus has done on your behalf. I'd like to direct your attention to John chapter 11 verse 33. It says, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled and he said, Where have you laid him? Speaking of Lazarus. They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the Bible and uh, one of the most powerful. Jesus knows what he's going to do for Lazarus in uh, just a few moments. We know the story. He raises Lazarus from the dead, but it still doesn't stop his tears. Knowing the outcome doesn't always take away the hurt know that if you've lost a loved one. So Jesus wept. Now Jesus wept shows us the heart of God. He loves. He cares. Death pains him. Sin, which is a cause of death, pains him. And that's it's all wrapped up in why Jesus weeps. And I believe a God who weeps tears is a God who is worth trusting. And later in the story, we know that God sheds more than tears for sinners like you and me. He sheds his blood for sinners like you and me. Because that's the only way our sins could be forgiven. He doesn't just shed tears, he sheds blood for you and for me 
because it's the only way that our sins can be forgiven on the cross. Jesus wept. Jesus died for you and for me. Let us take a moment to reflect on that. Come before the Lord. This is an opportunity for you to confess your sins to the Lord in the quietness of your own heart. Father, we are sorry for our sins, for those things we've done in the past week that have not pleased you. We confess them to you and we repent of them. We thank you that you care. We thank you that you love. We thank you that you were prepared to shed your blood on the cross for us, Lord. You shed more than tears. You shed your blood so that we might know you and we thank you, Lord. And we come this evening to take of the bread and to take of the cup and to participate again by faith in the death that you have died on our behalf. We trust you and we throw our mercy upon you once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the front few rows to stand there's a little map behind me which will indicate which way to go. You come and take of the cup and of the bread. Hold them for a few moments. We'll take them together very shortly. Jesus has rescued us from sin and death by his death on the cross. Jesus sheds more than tears for sinners like you and me. He sheds his very blood.
Thank you, Jesus. Please stand. We'll sing another song together.
Survived the heat? Yeah. Survived the heat. Great. Um, what's that? You're here for the air conditioning. Yeah, right. Okay. Good. Anyone's welcome. Anyone's welcome. Uh, at Subi Church, it's our practice uh, to do scripture at Subi uh, because we believe that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so uh, it is food for the soul. And so each month we memorize scripture to get the scripture into our bones. This year we're doing some key verses in the Psalms. And we learned last week that Psalms are meant to be prayed. It's the, they're meant to be internalized and prayed. And so uh, we're going to be thinking about that this year as we as we memorize and pray over the Psalms. And if you remember last week, we started with Psalm 1, verse 1 and a bit. So uh, that should be behind us. And so let us say this together. And let's say this in a prayerful way as if we're praying to the Lord and asking the Lord to make us this type of person as we pray. Should we do that together? Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. That's right, in Psalms there's clearly two ways to live. We want to take the way, the righteous way, the way of the Lord. Welcome to Subi Church again. My name's David, I'm one of the staff members here at the church, and I just want to extend a special warm welcome if you're visiting or new. It's great that you're joined us and uh, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better outside in the foyer afterwards. Uh, One way to get connected uh, to our church, if you are new or if you're regular and you'd like to let us know about uh, something that uh, you'd like us to pray for, if you'd like to know more about uh, joining a small group or getting baptised, our connect card, it should be an arm's length of you. Uh, You can also scan the QR code on the screen, but there should be, uh, I really invite all of you to be filling that in. Uh, It's a way that you can connect with us, we can know how you're going spiritually, also you can RSVP to our events that way. So I just uh, give that to you for your consideration. We come now to a time of offering. Offering is a short time in our weekend service, but it's a very important time because it helps us to get our priorities right uh, for the year. I hope that uh, each year that you consider your giving how much can you give this year? Can you give more? Uh, are you able to be more generous? Are you maybe constrained this year because of certain things? It's important to uh, think through those things. The Lord wants us to be deliberate in the way that we give. Yeah, he wants us to give cheerfully, not have our arms twisted. And uh, giving is a great privilege because we get to partner with the Lord in making his name known. And that's why we give. So let me commit Uh, the offering to the Lord. Uh, If you do want to give, we encourage you to give electronically. You can find that out on the website very easily. If you would like to give still physically, there's a box just there on the way out. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you've given us every spiritual blessing. You have not withheld one from us. You've given us every spiritual blessing in the Lord Jesus Christ. You give and you give to us. And Father, we want to be people who are generous. We want to be people who, are give, who give. We want the gospel to flow through us so that we are generous. And so, Lord, we commit that money which is raised, collected this weekend. We pray that this money might be used by this church to make your name known 
here in Subiaco, further afield in Perth and beyond. And we ask, Lord, that it would bear fruit for the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Just one announcement today, and that is uh, starting tomorrow at 12.15, we have a Christianity Explained course. This goes through the basics of Christianity. Uh, this might be something that you would really like to, to uh, know, the basics of Christianity. Perhaps you'd like to brush up on the basics. Ideally, it's for those who are not yet believers. You might know someone and you could say, hey, why don't you just come along? It's a, uh, an hour-long session. Lunch is provided. You get to hear about the basics of Christianity. And so uh, that's tomorrow. It's already been very well uh, uh, RSVP'd, very well received. A number of people are coming. We'd love to have more. And so uh, that's something that will start tomorrow over three Sundays. Also, if you can't make it yourself, would you please pray for Christianity Explained, we know this is a spiritual um, uh, battle that's going to be going on as people are uh, apprehended with the word. And, and so please pray for this uh, tonight, tomorrow, during the week. We've now come to a time of congregational prayer. So would you uh, bow your heads, close your eyes, or however you can focus, and uh, let me lead us as we pray to the Lord. Lord, there is no one like you in heaven or earth. There is no one but you, the God who created all that we see and know by your command. We bow our hearts in worship before you, Lord, our maker, because you alone are holy. You alone are our saviour. You alone are the one that we seek, our heavenly Father who gives us life and light and from whom all good, good things flow. Thank you for your blessings every day. Lord, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die for all of our sins and to show us the way to live and love and serve God and one another for your glory. Lord, we each, we recall our own mistakes, our shortcomings, sins, and we humbly ask for your forgiveness. Thank you for your kindness, your grace, your mercy to us. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives who guides our steps as we listen to your voice. Please stir up in us a passion for your name, your word, and for reaching out to others with your gospel. Thank you that your hand is always on us, giving us your hope and your peace through the power of the Holy Spirit, working in us, even in the most difficult seasons of our lives. You alone are our refuge, rock and strong deliverer. We want to worship you, Lord, because you alone are worthy of all praise. Lord, in the midst of the turmoil of this world where people are persecuted and brutally attacked for their faith in you, North Korea, Somalia, Yemen and so many more countries, we ask for your compassion to be upon them. And for those in war-torn areas, particularly in Israel and the Ukraine. For those at risk in Papua New Guinea and Ecuador. Comfort and uplift the suffering, downtrodden, lost. Draw all of us closer to you. And I do pray, Lord, for the Christians in those countries, that they would be steadfast in their faith. And they would be sharing the good news to those around them. Thank you for the freedom that we enjoy in Australia to worship you. We pray that our government... Pray for our government as they navigate through legislation that pertains to people's faith, expression and identity, that your wisdom will be upon them. We pray for our fellow Australians, that they would humbly seek your face, repent and live by your word. May your words, Lord, penetrate deep into our hearts today as we are blessed by Tim Thorburn's message from your word. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint him with your wisdom, your grace your power as he preaches this evening. Thank you, Lord. Please hear our prayers offered in faith and in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening.
My name is Kendrick. Our scripture readings today are taken from Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 to 14 and Galatians 4, 1 to 7. If you are able, I invite you to stand with me as we read from God's word. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Galatians 4, verses 1 to 7. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is under age, he is no different than a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You may now take your seat. It's my pleasure to introduce our guest speaker this evening. This is Tim Thorburn. Let's give him a, Hi. a warm welcome. <laughs> thanks, for thanks for joining us, Tim. Uh, Tim spends his time persuading uni students to take Jesus seriously. Uh, he did that when I was a uni student, and he's still doing that. Uh, I've been doing that for more than 30 years. Uh, he partners with his wife, Rosemary, uh, over at UWA, and he, and he uh, uh, superintends a whole lot of work that goes on here in, in Perth. And so uh, thank you so much for joining us and uh, continuing our series in Ecclesiastes. Thanks, David. It's good to be with you. Uh, I think I met some of you last year when I came for a couple of uh, weeks in July. If you have a Bible, it would be helpful to open to Ecclesiastes. Uh, if you, it's sort of in the middle of your Bible, uh, after Psalms, before Isaiah, if you're trying to find it. Just while you're trying to find it, can I do a, a quick plug for one thing? David mentioned that I work uh, with university students uh, with a ministry called Christian Union. 
if, you, if you're starting university this year or know others who might be, we run a sort of orientation camp called Kickstart. I've got some flyers, come and ask me for one. It's a saying that is known everywhere, I think. Timing is everything. If you're a comedian, you know that. Timing matters. If you try and tell a joke and you get the timing wrong, it just doesn't work, does it? What do you get when you cross a kangaroo and a sheep, a woolly jumper? Now, thank you for laughing. But notice I, I wrecked it up completely, didn't I? I didn't give you enough time to even think about what the answer might be, and so it doesn't work. Every, all comedy relies on timing, but so do much more important things. Uh, recently, uh, I've started to watch a little bit of cycling on TV, Olympics and other things, and in the road races, they're very, very boring, except for one question. When is the right time to attack? To try and get away from the peloton, because if you get the timing wrong, you blow it. If you get the timing right, it's glory. It's all about the timing in almost all sport. Cricket, anybody here watch cricket? You all look too Asian to watch cricket, don't you? But oh, think about soccer then. A counter-attack in soccer has got to get the timing right. If you flood forward and you don't score the goal or do something dramatic, they will just hit you the other end, won't they? If you get the timing wrong, it just goes bad. Business world is like that. Some of you are old enough to remember the Holden Car Company. Holden developed it for Australia its best car ever. It was a Commodore and a big, a big car. And, and they spent a billion dollars developing one for Australian conditions. And they released it just as the price of oil went through the roof. Holden does not exist anymore in that sort of company. On the 16th of September 2008, some people might remember that, the Wall Street Journal had as its front page article, now is the time to jump into stocks and real estate. The global financial crisis began on the 16th of September 2008. It was not the time to buy stock. It was the opposite. It was the time to sell as quick as you could. They got the timing completely wrong. And all business is like that. Relationships. I was chatting to a guy yesterday, young man, 24, became a Christian last year, and he's interested, he's met a girl, Christian girl, he's interested in, in a relationship with her. And his question was, Tim, when do I tell her? I don't know. Because <laughs> if, you, if you tell her at the wrong time, she'll run a mile. You tell her at the right time, and maybe... There's a chance that it'll work out. You get offered a new job. Do you take it or don't you take it? When do you ask for a pay rise? Because if you get the timing wrong, it will go badly, won't it? You get the timing right and everything is sweet. And Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8 is an expression of that in this poem. It's probably the most well-known well part of Ecclesiastes, there's some folk songs based on it. There's a time for every purpose under heaven. And it begins with that assertion. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And when he says there's a time for something, he's not just saying time like your watch, 20 past 12. What he's saying is 
there's the right time for different activities. The time when it works, when it's, it fits right rather than clashes. And so he says in verse 2, there's a time to be born and a time to die. There is a right time to die. I know we want to delay it and maybe never die, but there's a right time to die. And if you've got elderly relatives, that's something you'll wrestle with. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal. You might think there's only ever a time to heal. No, there's also a time to kill, a time to tear down and a time to build. Many of these are positives, but the opposite. The, the pendulum is also true. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to not. A time to search and a time to give up. It, you know that. It, it's happened for you, hasn't it? You've lost something and you start searching for it. At what point do you stop searching? Because sure as anything, you'll probably find it the next place you look, if you stop. Though when do you stop? There is a right time to give up searching. But you never know when it is, do you? Unless you find it. There's a time uh, to keep and a time to throw away. A time to be a hoarder and a time not to be a hoarder. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. Sometimes it's just right to say nothing. And those of us with motor mouths, we get it wrong so often, don't we? But there's also time to speak. And those of us who are shy and timid and introverts, we miss the moment. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. There is a time for war. If you know your history, the Second World War, the British Prime Minister, Mr Chamberlain, kept working for appeasement with Germany. Just, just trying to get peace, hoping and hoping against hope that this wouldn't be a war, that when he annexed Austria, when he annexed uh, parts of, uh, of Czechoslovakia, that wasn't a, a harbinger of things to come, but he was wrong. Churchill said it's a time for war. And in retrospect, he was right. But as you look at the Middle East today, is it a time for war or a time for peace? Is it a time for the US and UK and others to just put arms down and stop... stop riling the Houthis and, and, and Israel, the Hezbollah? Or is it a time to fight, to really go for it? That's the trouble. We don't know. We rarely know. And that's what this poem is about. We know there is a right time to do this or to do that. But we rarely know what is the right time. Does that resonate with your experience? As you look back on your life, do you recognise those times when you got it wrong? You should have jumped in or you should have stayed back. You should have bought or you should have sold. But you didn't know. Ecclesiastes, in a sense, is a tour of life. Your life, my life. Our tour guide is this teacher, a king in Jerusalem 3,000 years ago. And the project he sets himself out to do, as if you were here last week, David introduced, is to make sense of life. He basically says, let's us set aside our assumptions, our religious traditions, our institutions, and explore the world, life, the universe, and everything. Question everything, assume nothing. Let's have a clear-sighted examination. Clear the ground and look at life realistically. Set aside your assumptions. 
dispel your laziness and examine life honestly. Sometimes it feels like an atheist uh, sort of examination of life, but it's not that. He he believes in God. There really is a creator. He lives under that creator. But sometimes it does sound like that because of the questions he asks. And so he looks at things like pleasure and leisure, at work and great projects of being young and old, of justice and politics and friendship and wealth and wisdom and much more. And today we're just picking up this passage about time and eternity. Our experience of life that timing, in a sense, is everything. And he makes the observation. He helps us get into his world. But then he asks the hard question. So what? If timing is everything, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for me and you as we live our lives under the sun? whether it's hot like today or cold. So he said, let's stop and reflect on that perception that there's a right time for things. Because if you get the timing right, it is so sweet, isn't it? You know when you come in and you tell that joke and you get the timing of the joke right and everybody just bursts out laughing? It's so good, isn't it? You're appreciated, the mood changes, everybody loves you. Or maybe you sell your house. And as you look at what happens in the market, maybe that day when somebody pays more than you expected, or in three months when the price has dropped since and you think, I actually got the best price I could ever get for my house. You'd think, life is good, isn't it? It is so good. It's like you fit your decisions fit, everything clicks, and you just want to fist pump. You just want to, yeah, it did it, it worked. And sometimes life is like that, and you feel like you've achieved something, something worth achieving. And your life seems to have some real significance and meaning because you got the timing right. You've gained something worthwhile from your activity. And the teacher says, have you? Really? Verse 9, what do workers gain from their toil? Even when they get the timing right, is there real gain? Or is it just superficial? Is it an illusion? Verse 10, I've seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. This reality that you can get the timing right, but often you don't, he sees as a burden. Because in verse 11, God has made everything beautiful in its time. That is, why is there a right time for things? Why do sometimes we have that experience of the fist bump? It it, it fits. It's, I got it right. Because God has made things beautiful in its time. He's the one who gives beauty and that sense of achievement to getting the timing right. But, and this is crucial, we rarely get the timing right. They say that hindsight is 2020 vision. As you look backwards, you can always work out when you should have done it, can't you? At least we think we can. But it's only in hindsight. We never seem to be able to work it out at the time, at at the moment. Going back to verse 6, a time to search and a time to give up. Afterwards, 
<laughs> you might work out, yes, I should have kept looking longer because a month later my husband found it locked in, lost somewhere or other. Or maybe three years later you realise I was actually right to stop searching because I never needed that thing. I was hoarding it for something. I thought I would need it, but I never needed it. I'm so glad I didn't spend a whole day, a whole week, a whole month trying to find it. Of course, it wouldn't have been worth it. Hindsight, we recognise it. But usually we don't. And so the, the feeling, the knowledge that there is a right time becomes a burden more than a help. It becomes uh, something that, that, that makes life more difficult because we know we miss it so often. But he also says that because there's a right time, think harder about what that means for life. Because if there is a right time, it means there is some sort of pattern to the world, some sort of shape to history. If there's a time when I should have done that, then this isn't just a random thing where it doesn't matter what you do. There is a pattern to it, a pattern that, in a sense, we're invited to try and work out. We know we can't, but surely we want to work out what the pattern is, because then we could make the right decision at the right time. If I have the experience of my actions fitting, of slotting in, and things sort of move forward, I'm working with the grain of creation then I'm contributing to something good, something worthwhile. But because I usually get it wrong, because I usually can't discern the shape, so often it's just, <laughs> Now I see what I should have done, but, but I couldn't see back then. That's a burden. And he wants us to feel that burden, the, the burden of our finiteness, of our lack of wisdom and knowledge. We want to get the timing right, but most of the time, we can't. So if timing is crucial, then your approach to life can't be a general principle that you do all the time. If timing matters, then you can't just have a general principle of, let's always work for peace, because there's a time for war. I can't have a general principle of, always just be kind to people, because there's a time not to be kind. I can't work with the general principle of always speak up, never let anybody keep you silent. Because there is a time to be silent. Now, I can't adopt that sort of general principle because, to use an analogy, it's sort of like my, as I live my life, I'm in this maze. You know what a maze is? Somebody designed this confusing set of alleys and pathways and hedges and things, and you're in the middle of it and you don't know the pattern. Now, to take one of those general principles and is like being in the maze and you say, every time I come to an intersection, I turn left. You'll never get out of the maze. You need to make the right decision at every intersection. But we're in the maze. We don't know what the right decision is. We don't get the timing. We don't know enough to do it. If time, secondly, if timing is crucial, but it's outside my control, if I'm just a player in the maze guessing, trying to make fit, make the right decision at the right time. It means I am in something that is bigger than me. It is designed. There is a pattern to it if there is a time for every purpose under heaven. And the author knows who that is. Verse 11, it's he, it's God, 
has made everything beautiful in its time. There must be someone who makes it beautiful, who creates the right time for me to do that so when I do it, it fits, it's with the grain. It fist pumps, it's right, it's productive. It's the sweet spot. Of course, God created the spot, the hole, the opportunity. And I'm fitting with the grain of his design. And so he says in verse 11, he's, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He set eternity in our hearts. Now, he doesn't explain what that means. I, I've got a guess, or a suggestion as to what he means. I think what it means is that we have a sense that our lives are meaningful and ought to be meaningful. That, that you and I somehow matter. Matter more than a scattering of rocks. More than random events. More than just a lump of clay. We're humans. We, we're not just an accumulation of atoms. And so we long to do something, to achieve something that matters. That's part of our human experience. That's what God has made us to be like, to long for that. And for it to matter, it's got to last, last for eternity. There are lots of things that we do don't last. I, I work on a university campus. Students are forever doing assignments. What happens to assignments? Well, they get handed in or they get electronically deposited and maybe somebody reads them and if you're very lucky they grade them according to the labour you've put into it and then what do they do with them? Throw them out. Bin them. Shred them. Delete them. They don't make any difference. They're gone and much of life is like that. But we know there's more. We know there should be more. The fact that we have this experience of when we get the timing right, we feel significant. We feel like what we've done matters. Is a pointer to eternity is in our hearts. There's a bigger plan. There is a God behind it all, and I'm part of it. But verse 11, the end of verse 11, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We can't work out the pattern of the maze. We just live sort of with the maze above our heads. We, we can't see where it's going. We don't know where the end is and how to get there. We just have to keep making these decisions. And sometimes they're right. Sometimes the timing is perfect. So often it's not. So how do you live like that? Well, he goes on to say in verse 12, I know there's nothing better for people to be happy than to be happy and to do good while they live that each of us may eat and drink and find satisfaction in our toil, this is the gift of God. You have the fist, plus, plus, uh, fist pump moment? That's a gift from God. Enjoy it when it comes. But don't think that it's because you are God and can control it. It's a gift from God. And it's here today and it's, got, it's gone tomorrow. It isn't the permanent experience of this life. And he tells us the purpose for which God makes it like that. Verse 14. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing uh, can be added to it, nothing taken away from it. God does this so that people will fear him. 
People will acknowledge him to be God. People will step down from that lie that I'm God. I can control my life. I can make it work. I can get the decisions right. I can always get the timing right and say, no, God is God. I'm merely a creature. There are some totally inappropriate ways to relate to God. One is simply to ignore God and suppress the truth that he's real. Because I want to be God in my own life and live for myself. Your experience of life tells you that isn't true. It's a lie. Please come into the light. Another inappropriate inappropriate response is to treat God as my servant. God is just here to provide for me, to give me, so that I can live for myself. Now, the only right way to relate to a God who's created us, who controls things, who's designed the maze, is to treat him as God, as our owner, as supreme. Let me zoom out for a minute and ask what what the teacher is trying to uh, get us to understand broadly. And then we'll think about what this means for us post-Jesus. What is the teacher's thesis? What's his goal? Well, his thesis really is the answer to verse 9. Verse 9, what do workers gain from their toil? What ultimately is the value of all the things that you do, all the energy you put in, all the hard work and, and thought and research, even if you get the timing right, what does it deliver? And if you were here last week, I presume you look at chapter 1, where he sets forth his thesis. Verse 2, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What do people gain for all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Nothing. Now, the word meaningless is is not despair. It's a word that means, it's used of vapour. You know, when you go out on a cold morning and you just breathe out and and you get that cloud of vapour and it's there for a little five seconds, ten seconds, it just blows away. He's saying that's what it is. It's there, but it's temporary, it's transient, and it's insubstantial. Anything that we might do. That's what he's trying to convince us of. Now, that's pretty depressing, isn't it? Sounds like he's going through a midlife crisis, and he hasn't got out of it yet. But he's actually saying, I want all of you to have that midlife crisis. That's what I want you to see about life. When you look at it honestly, that's what you will understand. And... Time is one angle on the nothing. Because our experience is there is a right time for any and every activity. But we usually can't recognise it. And so sometimes we feel hopeful. Maybe next time I'll get it right. More often we feel frustrated. How on earth do I navigate life if I can't get the timing right? But what we're meant to feel is our limitation, our smallness. No, I won't be able to. I need to live in God's world as if he's God. Because the goal of the teacher is to dismantle human pride. That, that approach to life which says, I can control it. If I do my research, if I get all the facts right, if I'm a clever person, I can make life work for me. I can always get the timing right. You can't. The Wall Street Journal has the best economists in the world working for it and they got it totally wrong. Do you think you'll get it right? The more research you do, the more life experience you have, do you think you'll then get it right every time? No, I won't either. 
None of us will. He brings us down to size. And so there's something important for us to recognise in that. We can't get it right. It's chasing shadows to think, I will always get the timing right. If you do get the timing right, he says, enjoy the temporary thrill, but don't let it go to your head. Don't deceive yourself into thinking you're now capable of getting it right all the time. That's hubris, that's arrogance. Instead, live in fear of God. God is God. I'm not, you're not. He's created and shaped the the maze that we experience, that, that we inhabit. He knows its shape. So let him be God. Work out how to live as creatures in God's world. The next time you get the timing wrong, now you look back and you think, Ah, blew that. I should have done differently. I, I should, have, should have waited. I should have jumped in. Next time you get it wrong. Don't simply say, oops. Don't simply get frustrated and go on that endless thing. Well, if only I'd got it right then. Yeah, I'd be there. Next time I will. Uh, when you get it wrong, say, yeah, I'm not God. God is God. Thank you, God, that you're God and I'm not. That's a different way to respond, isn't it? But that's where Ecclesiastes takes us. But I also want to look at a couple of places where God says more about timing. One where God says, I've got the timing right, and I've shown you. The second where he encourages us to get the timing right. First one is in Galatians 4. Verse 4, Paul writes, when the set time had fully come, or more literally, when it was the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus was born in about 4 BC. He died in about 30 AD in the backwater of the Roman Empire. But what Paul's asserting is that in the whole history of the world, of the cosmos, that was the right time for him to come. God pulls back the veil so we can see one place where the timing was perfect, where the timing was right, when Jesus came. Now, in what sense is the timing right? Well, there's all sorts of ways that you could explore that. If you know your Old Testament, you'll have some ideas of it. One of them is the timing was when God had educated humanity sufficiently in the categories and culture that would allow us to understand Jesus as God the Son who died as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If we didn't have that Old Testament, those thousands of years of history, what would you make of the death of Jesus? It's just a foolish martyr's death, isn't it? Every way that the Bible explains the death of Jesus comes out of what God had taught Israel and humanity through those thousands of years of history. But also, he taught us over those thousands of years that every other hope we could ever hope in apart from Jesus is useless. It will fail us. It cannot save us. If you think of the history of Israel, God did everything for them, didn't he? He rescued them out of slavery, gave them uh, a land of their own, made them his people, gave them victory and, and prosperity. He gave them everything. 
Was that sufficient? He gave them a great king who led them to peace and, and goodness under God. To trust in him. Did they keep trusting him? No. No, more was needed. Much more for us to be redeemed from the slavery to sin and death that we're under. We need to understand the timing was right when Jesus came. We knew that. Or at least we could know it. But it's more than that. In the timing being uh, when he sent his son, God adopted us into his family. He shows us that eternity in our hearts, that longing we have to live forever, not to be a vapour, but to be somebody who matters forever, that desire for significance that lasts, is given to us in Jesus. He doesn't just say, you are a creature, treat me as your creator. He comes and says, you are a rebel in slavery against me but I adopt you into my family. You become part of royalty through his death and the giving of his spirit. Ecclesiastes starts with respect for God, fear for God, but it points to something much more wonderful, adoption into his family. Creaturely trust, yes, that, that's still there, but now intimate trust in our Father. And that gives an even better response to getting the timing wrong. It's not just, thank you, God, that you're God and I'm not. It's thank you that my Father is God. And I'm walking in a maze that's been shaped by my Heavenly Father. Not a vindictive devil, not an indifferent power, but my Heavenly Father. He will work that out for good, whether I get the timing right or wrong. He is at work for my good, to bring him to himself forever as his children, as his family. To take me to eternal life where I'm known, where I know him even as he knows me. Lastly, God gives us a way of getting the timing right in the most crucial decision of life. If you have a Bible, just come back a couple of pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul writes, as God's co-workers, verse 1, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, in the time of my favour I heard you, in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour, now is the day of salvation. If you are not a Christian here today, can I talk to you just for a moment? I know you often get the timing wrong and you sometimes get it right, just like me. But God is saying, this is a decision where you can get the timing absolutely right. Because this is the day of salvation. This is the right time to trust the Lord Jesus. Because there's a time for salvation and a time for judgment. And this is the time for salvation. Jesus has come. He's died for you. Chapter 5, verse 21. God made him to be sin who had no sin, so that in him we might, we could become the righteousness of God. This is the window that God has opened. And he says, this is the time to be reconciled to your maker, to receive his forgiveness. And if Jesus has come and died and risen again, and he hasn't yet returned as judge, of course this is the time. The decision, 
the only decision, the right decision that fits this moment is to put your trust in Jesus and start a new life as a child of God. And it would be foolish, it would be totally dumb to not do that. Because this is the time for it. It's the right time. And God says to you, now is the day of salvation. If you need to take action today, can I encourage you to talk to David or a Christian friend and do business with God and take advantage of this day. Please stand. Let's sing our closing song together. See
If anyone would like some prayer, there'll be opportunity down the front to pray uh, with someone. Uh, please come and uh, avail yourself of that. Let me finish with the benediction. Father, we felt the burden of our finiteness, our lack of wisdom. We are creatures, Father. We ask that, uh, and I ask, Lord, that you would bless each person here this evening, that you would fill us with your wisdom, that you would guide each one of us to live well in your world with Jesus at the centre. And I pray, Lord, we would go with that wisdom and live this way this week in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next week.